It is indeed great to sing with the congregation, and it's a, a blessing. One of, the, one of the things I love about worshiping, uh, the way we do it at Parkside, is that the, the mass of volume comes from here. It's not cranked up up here. There's not a lot of, um, you know, there's no smoke. I've never seen smoke. Next week? I thought that might be on the schedule. I didn't see it today, so I wasn't sure, but but uh, it's the singing of the congregation. It's the worship of the congregation. I love being able to enter in uh, with you all and worship together, and uh, what, a, what a blessing for us to be able to do that together. Open your Bible, if you would, to Romans chapter 14, and we are going to cover today verses 1 through 12, and then the plan is that that uh, next week we will do uh, 13 through the end of the chapter and um, trying to, you know, set a new pace, see if we can do, see, see if we can do one chapter in two Sundays and, and uh, that, that may be too much. We may have to back up and start over, but we are reading here from Romans chapter 14, starting in verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end... Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We recognize that you are our God, that there is none like you. We recognize that you are our creator. You made all things. You didn't need us. You weren't looking to supplement uh, your experience or your existence. You created us from nothing for your glory. And we worship you. And Father, we recognize as a congregation this morning that, that we owe you all things. We owe you our existence, we owe you our lives, and we certainly owe you our obedience. And all too often, Father, we have not been obedient. We confess that to you as sin, and we ask for your forgiveness. And we rejoice that in Christ we have forgiveness for those sins. Thank you that Jesus was always obedient. And thank you that he gave himself in our place to pay for our disobedience. We rejoice that we get to be your children. 
And Father, as we look at this passage today that discusses how we are to behave toward one another, what attitudes we ought to have before one another, I pray that you would work in our hearts by your Spirit. We ask for your blessing this morning. We ask that you would give us clarity on how we relate to those who differ in certain non-essential behaviors. We ask for wisdom and your blessing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as, as uh, most of you know, I grew up right here in Fallon. And uh, when I became a Christian, it was right here in Fallon. And I came right here to this church as a brand new Christian. And so my Christian experience was about that broad when I went away to Bible school. And uh, it was pretty interesting uh, when I got to Bible school in Texas, and uh, there were various things that were um, unusual to me. Uh, first of all, we had some students in our school who were from Brandon, Manitoba. And Brandon, Manitoba has a thick accent, a thick accent. I would equate it, I mean, I'm from Arkansas, so I can talk about the Deep South. That's where I was born. Uh, I would equate it to the Deep South. If you've ever traveled to the Deep South in the U.S., you kind of have to think a little bit about what's being said to understand it. Well, when I was, uh, my first day in school, we were sitting in class and there was a student just a couple of rows over who was from Brandon, Manitoba. And I didn't, I didn't know that at the time, hadn't met him yet, but he was asked to read the Bible, the portion of scripture we were going to talk about for that class. And so he started reading it and I had my, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there listening and I, I hear him start to read and I thought, who is this guy who is making fun of the Bible? He had this accent that sounded to me like Bob and Doug McKenzie, and I thought he was joking about the Bible, but that, that was actually just his accent, right? And so the accent was one of the unusual things when I showed up in Texas. Isn't it interesting to tell a story about Texas and not talk about the Texas accent? That one was really normal to me. I thought the Brandon Manitoba one was a little bit different. But that was, that was the least of the new things that I experienced there. It was the first time, really, that I had gone into a context, a Christian context, where you had uh, Christians from such different backgrounds and Christians who held such different views on, on certain things. And I don't mean theological views. I don't mean doctrinal positions, though there were certainly differing doctrinal positions. But I mean uh, topics like, um, you know, tattoos. I hadn't, you know, tattoos weren't really the big thing in 1992 and three that they are now, but I didn't have a lot of experience with that, but we had classmates who had tattoos and they were young people. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And, and we had other people who were, uh, had different positions on alcohol, you know, whether, whether a Christian can or cannot consume alcohol in moderation. And, and that was a, a topic of discussion amongst these people. One, one, uh, other topic that was interesting was the topic of modesty not whether you should be modest in your dress, but what modesty in your dress looks like. And it turns out that uh, those from some places considered they had certain standards of modesty and they were scandalized by the standards of modesty of the people from other regions. And those people from the other regions were scandalized by the standards of modesty of those from the first region. And uh, it, was, it was a very interesting thing. It wasn't as if some were immodest and some were modest. It was how you dress in a modest way and what modesty looks like. And so I was kind of awash in these new kind of ideas as a new Christian in that sort of experience, trying to wrestle with those sorts of things. How do we think about topics uh, where Christians, genuine, obedient Christians differ on these topics? And again, we're not talking about doctrine. We're talking about these areas of behavior where the Bible is not explicit, do this or don't do this, where it's not explicit on those topics. There's, there's some area there of discussion amongst Christians. Well, this whole chapter, chapter 14, deals with the topic of non-essentials or debatable issues that Christians take different positions on. And... Genuine Christians, thinking through it one way, can, can come to some conclusions. And other genuine Christians, thinking through it a different way, can come to differing conclusions on these areas. And so our paragraph or our, our chapter today is talking about 
the attitudes that we ought to have with one another on those topics. It's not until next week, it's not until the second half of the chapter that he's going to talk about more how we make decisions in those areas that are that are disputable areas, that are non-essential areas of behavior. How can we make decisions in consideration of one another? So I might make a certain set of decisions in these disputable areas. I need to think about the impact that will have on you. And that's going to be discussed next week. And so if you can hold off that long, I, I will try not to step on too many toes today. I'll put that off until next week. And then I will stomp away. <laughs> This week is more about our attitudes towards those who take a different position. What should our attitude be? These these areas that we're talking about, they're, they're, they're more areas of conscience than pure obedience. When the Bible says don't lie, it means don't lie. That's not an issue of conscience. It said it. You're either obeying or disobeying. But there are other areas not so clear like a couple that we're going to talk about today, different areas where the Bible doesn't come down hard and fast on that topic. There are ways you can think about it that are different. And so it becomes an area of, of conscience and not as much an area of obedience in those ways. And so we're looking at, again, our attitudes towards one another, how we think about those who have arrived at different uh, positions on, uh, on these topics. And so let's go ahead and jump into our study. And the first, the first question here that we have, point number one is really a question. Do we hold people to a higher standard than God does? Do we hold people to a higher standard than God does? Now, I know God's standard is perfection. So in one sense, that doesn't make a lot of sense. God's standard is perfection. And he has told us in what ways he means that. When he talks about don't lie, when he talks about be faithful, when he talks about don't steal, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, those are clear commands, and his standard is perfection. So it's impossible, literally impossible, to hold a higher standard than God does in those ways. But there are areas where God has not spoken about exactly what behavior is the more obedient behavior. And if he has not said that, if he's left it up to conscience, if he's left it up to, to us thinking about what are the implications of the gospel, well, there are different ways to think about those things. And do we, you know, we've made our own decision on those topics. We've come to a conclusion. Are we then going to hold other people to a standard that God doesn't hold them to? That's really the question. And of course, that has, first of all, to do with realizing the implications of the gospel. He says in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. How do we make decisions about whether to eat meat or vegetables? Well, we probably make decisions entirely differently than what they were talking about here. We might be thinking in terms of health. We might be thinking in terms of long-term health and and longevity and things like that. We might be thinking about uh, what eating vegetables does to us, what eating meat does to us and things like that. But really the discussion at this time in in pagan Rome, remember this letter is being written to Christians who are in Rome, some of whom are Jewish and some of whom are Gentile. They come from a very different background. And so in a pagan environment at this time of, of the world, what was meat used for? It was very often sacrificed to idols. Well, then once you had made the sacrifice to your pagan idol, if you lived in Rome or or anywhere in the Roman Empire, really, or many places around the world, after you made that sacrifice to your pagan deity, then you would go to the market and sell that meat, right? So it's like a double use. Or perhaps that sacrifice was made at the temple, and the temple would sell that meat. But nevertheless, you have a situation where there's paganism. There's pagan worship going on, the worship of false gods. And so uh, Jews knew about this. And Jews were very sensitive to these sorts of things because they knew that there is only one God. They had been raised on that notion. They had been raised uh, to, to hate idolatry. The, the entire Old Testament points that direction. And so in the minds of some of these, whether they were Jews or Gentiles uh, is not really the topic here, but, but in the minds of some of these people, to eat meat 
that had been sacrificed to an idol would be sinful. That would be wrong. And if you lived in pagan Rome and you, you didn't buy your meat from, you know, Joe's pagan temple, but instead from, you know, Joe's meat market, which happened to be right next to the pagan temple, you wouldn't know for certain that the meat you bought wasn't actually sacrificed to idols. So best to be safe and just not eat meat at all. Right? Best to avoid that whole mess and just live on vegetables. Right? So that's some people had taken that line of thinking. And in their mind, there was that was the more obedient way to do it. In their mind, that was the better and safer way to do it, is you you're not contributing in any way to idolatry, you're not saying it's okay, you're not participating at all in any kind of worship of, of idols or anything like that. It's the more obedient thing to do just to swear off meat entirely, because you don't really know. So you're just going to live on vegetables. Well, then you've got other people. Maybe they're more from a Gentile background. They don't have those, those same scruples, perhaps, though that wouldn't always be the case. But in their mind, it was just me. It was just me. And yeah, it was used in some pagan ritual, but that doesn't taint the meat. That's not like poison that gets wiped onto the meat. That's just a way it was used. And actually, don't we know that an, an idol really isn't anything? It doesn't have its own existence. It's not a real thing. It's a block of wood. It's not an actual entity. It's not a being. And so, yeah, someone killed this animal, offered this meat in, in worship of something that's not a real thing. So there's nothing really wrong with the meat. It's not a big deal. And so I can buy the meat and I can eat the meat in good conscience. And, and after all, if you think about it even more than that, isn't our God a redeeming God? If you think about who we are as Christians, weren't we at one time impure, unclean, and weren't we redeemed? Weren't we uh, in, in worship to in service of idols as unbelievers? Probably not a wooden structure that you bow down to, but our, our own gods that we served, whether it was ourself or something else that as unbelievers, we were, we were ritually and spiritually unclean. We were impure and we were redeemed in Christ, that he took those things, those people who were unclean, uh, impure, and made them his own. And he's actually transforming us to be more and more like Jesus, even now. So isn't our God a redeeming God? So in this situation, yeah, this, this meat was offered to an idol, but an idol isn't really anything. And I can redeem it in Christ. I can give thanks for it, and I can eat it in good conscience to give glory to God. And so you had these two different groups and so they were realizing the implications of the gospel in very different ways. They were thinking about it entirely differently. Well, you can imagine that if you've got one church making those wildly different conclusions and decisions based upon uh, their own understanding of the gospel and whatnot and, and thinking about, okay, do I eat meat? Do I not eat meat? Do I eat some meat or, or, or no meat at all because I need to be careful? You can imagine that, that factions would develop that would result in strained relationships. Where you've got one side thinking certain things about the other side. And you've got the other side looking bad at this side. That's, that's kind of what was going on. These differing decisions that these Christians had arrived at resulted in these strained relations. We see in verse 3, let not the one who eats, meaning the one who eats meat, despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So Paul has to give an instruction because he recognizes these two factions. He recognizes that they've gone very different directions in their thinking, and it would be easy to, to think hard things about the other person, right? He, he addresses there, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So you've got the group of the meat eaters, right? They said, look, the, the, the meat was offered to something that's not really anything. The meat is not tainted by the fact that it was used by pagans. And, and our God is a redeeming God, just like I've been redeemed. I, this meat can be redeemed and useful for God's glory, useful to me. And so I'm free to do that. I'm free to eat this meat. Well, the people of that group would look at the other group and say, you guys, you guys are, are, are too scrupulous. You guys are uptight. Your standards uh, are, are off. They're a little goofy. Why are you being so uptight about something like this? You, uh, you know, they were being despised. They were being looked down upon. 
treated as lesser. Right? There were hard feelings between the two. You've got the one side, uh, the meat eaters, who are saying to the vegetarians, you know, you guys are really missing out. Your, uh, your Christianity is a little, uh, a little wound up, a little tightly wound up. And, um, you know, a little meat in your diet would probably fix that. Right? So you've got this, this despising that's going on from the one group. What about the other side? What about the, what about the vegetarians? What was their attitude towards the meat eaters? Man, you guys, are, you guys are liberal, and you are loose, and you are not being careful. Don't you realize that all the world around us is a pagan world, and you are contributing to it? When you buy this meat, when you eat this meat, you're contributing to it. Even if you're careful not to buy it at Joe's you know, house of idolatry, but instead you buy it at, at Joe's meat shop, you don't know that it wasn't offered uh, to an idol in the first place. You really, you know, you're not being careful. You're being unwise. Right? So they were being judged. So you've got the one side despising the other side. You guys, you need to grow up. And you've got the other side judging the first side. You guys are just just loose. You guys are just liberal. Now it's interesting in uh, the way Paul words it here. He says, let not... uh, Well, first off, in in verse 1, he says, as for the one who is weak in faith. He, He identifies the group as weak. It becomes clear in the passage that the one who is weak in this context is the one who believes that that he may not eat meat at all, while the weak person eats only vegetables, the end of verse 2. So he's identified them as weak, the weak in the faith. And I think he does that for two reasons. He does that for two reasons. And the first is the one I've already said, that that I think the, the group of the meat eaters were looking down upon the others... Your faith is weak. You're immature. You need to grow up. Uh, you're, you know, they were being despised. They're being treated as weak. That's the weaker position. They were being looked down upon. But secondly, so you have you have this bad attitude from the from the uh, carnivores who were who were uh, uh, looking this way to the uh, vegetarians. But then also, secondly, he describes them as being weak in faith because they weren't tracing their faith, meaning tracing the gospel and what the gospel means, the implications for all of life, they weren't tracing those gospel implications all the way to the end of the issue. You see, Paul actually has an opinion about this. He has a position. He's not just writing and saying, oh, I've never thought about this in my life. I don't really have a position, but don't be mad at each other. That's not really what he's saying. He does have an opinion on the topic. His opinion on the topic is, is uh, just what he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9. He says he's willing to become like those who have no law for the sake of those who are outside the law. He's willing to eat meat. He's willing to mingle amongst the, the Gentiles, not uh, amongst the pagans even, not acting like a pagan. But he's willing to set aside some of these scruples that were particular, particularly to the, uh, to the Jewish community. He's willing to set those aside for the sake of ministry not, not setting aside essentials, not compromising his values, not compromising his conscience or any of those things, but for the sake of ministry to these people, he's willing to do that. So he actually has an opinion. And actually in Galatians, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because this is a little bit of next week. In Galatians, he speaks much more strongly about the topic. He says, if you're going to tie eating food to the gospel, I've got some things to say. The gospel is not about food. It's not about food. And if you're gonna if you're gonna make the gospel somehow about eating food, or if you're gonna you're gonna put dietary restrictions or something into the gospel, you just pick the fight with Paul. He's got a very strong opinion, but that's not what's going on here. Here, what he's he's doing is he's saying, look, there is a there is a position that is seeing the full consequences, the full extent of what the gospel means for what you eat. But my primary concern is how you're treating one another. The attitude you have towards one another. You've got, you've got one side judging the other side. You've got this side looking down upon and despising this side. You've got conflict within the church over what? Meat? Really? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a point to be made here that I don't want to drive home too much, but with the whole, with the whole uh, COVID situation and masks and all that kind of stuff... Um, We've, we've done what we've done here at Parkside and, and done the best we can, etc. But 
one of the things that we addressed early on that I remember preaching on in the early days, and I was, I was wrong on this. I was just wrong. What I said was, when you look at someone who's wearing a mask, don't imagine that they're thinking about you, oh, you liberal, oh, you, I don't mean liberal that way, I mean like loose in this sense, like you don't care about people. You're not, you're, you're, you're a scofflaw. You're putting aside the, uh, the, uh, the, the commands from our governor. You're laying all that aside. Don't, don't, my, my instruction was if you're not wearing a mask and someone is, don't worry about what they're thinking about you because they're not. And if you're wearing a mask and you see someone who's not, don't worry about what they're thinking about you because they're probably not. I was wrong. Okay. I was 100% wrong on that. Okay. Because they're, they're, they're developed even within the Christian community. And an active treatment of one another just like this. Okay? Where one side would look at the other in judgment. You just, you just don't really care about people's health. Or you just don't really care about the law. You just don't really... And you've got the other side saying, Ah, oh, you're so weak. I can't even believe that you would cave to something so simple as someone telling you to wear a mask. And come on. Right? So you've got the one side judging the other. You've got the, the other side that's, that's despising the first side. Over what? A mask. I'm not talking about the issue of obeying governors and authority and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about, uh, about that as much as the heart attitude that was amazing to me that I was utterly naive about. That actually, no, we sat in judgment at one another. And, and, and within the Christian community, we were... We were treating one another this way. We had strained relationships, just like they had strained relationships. Paul's solution to all of that. He says, I'm not my neighbor's master. I'm not my neighbor's master. Who are you to pass judgment, verse 4, on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. He will answer. The other person will answer to his own master. I am not his master. He's not responsible to me. He doesn't have to march to my tune. He's responsible to God. I need to move faster. <clears throat> Moving along. <laughs> Honoring God in the non-essentials. First of all, be fully Convinced. One person esteems, verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Be fully convinced. Days. What's the, what's the deal with esteeming one day better than another? Well, there's some discussion about that, but I think at the very least it had to do with whether a Christian was supposed to Continue to follow the Jewish religious calendar. Continue to celebrate the feasts, to celebrate those days. Were they supposed to continue doing that? Or, by virtue of the fact that Jesus fulfills the law, therefore the law has been fulfilled on our behalf, are we set free from that? And would it be better for us not to do that? Not to continue to follow the religious calendar. So should, should Christians continue to follow the Jewish religion, ca religious calendar? Or nowadays, should we follow the Christian religious calendar? Is, is the day Easter unique in the year? Is the day Christmas e uh, unique in the year? How should we think about that? Do we, must we celebrate those days or should we not celebrate those days? Or must we celebrate those days or are we free not to? That's kind of the question that's going on here. The days, that was another issue, particularly if you've got a, a congregation that's part Jewish and part Gentile. They would, they would differ on that question. But I, it's interesting what Paul's answer is. <clears throat> he doesn't give a yes or no answer, a simple one. He says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Fully convinced in his own mind. By the way, that's not the same as saying, hey, do whatever you want. Just do what you want. That's not the same thing. He's, he's telling us we need to think about it. He's telling us we need to remember the gospel. Remember what we have been saved from, by whom we have been saved, how we've been saved, 
and what we've been saved for. We need to remember those things. We need to, in light of that, we need to think about whatever this topic is, whether it's do we eat meat or only vegetables? Do we celebrate the holy days or not? We need to think about it in terms of the gospel, not just do whatever you want, because God really doesn't care. That's not the same thing. He says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. You need to think it through. You need to, to apply some biblical understanding and wisdom to the topic that you're discussing. It's very different than just doing whatever you want. And so what, what might be some current day examples, because we're not too worried about the, the uh, religious calendar, but maybe some questions today that, that uh, could take some discussion, things uh, about which we need to uh, be convinced in our own minds. What, what should a Christian's response to Halloween be? I mean, we've got emotional responses. We've got traditional responses to what that ought to be. But how do we think about it biblically? Or what about, uh, you know, should Christians get tattoos? We've all got a knee-jerk reaction to that one too. But when we think about it biblically, what, do we, what kind of a conclusion do we arrive at on that topic? May Christians consume alcohol in moderation? Or should they abstain entirely? Well, every one of us has an opinion about that, right? But how do we think about it biblically? How do we think about it through the lens of the gospel? Again, he's not just saying, hey, do whatever you want. He's saying, think about it biblically and be convinced in your own mind. And secondly, be thankful. He says, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he himself, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Be thankful for what you're doing. When we're thankful, when we express gratitude to God, what we are saying is what I have and what I am able to do, what I get to do is from God. I'm thankful for this. And so if that means I have meat in front of me, and I'm able to eat that meat, I give thanks for that meat. Thank you, God, for giving me this meat. This meat came from you, not from Joe's butcher shop or Joe's idol house. I've called it several things now. It's got a lot of names. I can give thanks to God that he gave me meat to eat. Praise God. And so I honor God by giving him thanks. On the other hand, if I'm a vegetarian... And I'm, I'm abstaining from all that meat for all the reasons that I've said. I give thanks to God that he provided vegetables. An alternative way for me to eat that is not tainted by that. An alternative way for me to eat. Thank you, God, that you have provided for me. Thank you that you have blessed me in the ways that you have. So we are to be thankful when we're doing that. When we're giving thanks, we are acknowledging this came from God. And so when we pray for our meals... The primary thing is not that we are asking God to bless this food, as in take it from bad food to make it good food, as if there's something wrong with it and we're hoping God will purify it for us or something. We are thanking God, acknowledging this came from you. Thank you. We get to eat again. Praise God. So we are thankful. And then thirdly, we live to the Lord. Verses 7 and following, for none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. The goal or object of the Christian life is not the self. When, when, I, when I make the statement from up here that I am the center of the world, I'm, I'm criticizing myself when I do that. It's, it's funny, it's entertaining, and it's a picture of my heart because sinfully I act as if I were the center of the world. I'm not the center of the world and you are not the center of the world. God is. He deserves our focus, our attention, and the Christian life is directed towards Him. It's not, it's not directed here. It's not centered on me and what I want, what I can get. It's not centered on what I can do, what I can have, or a name I can make for myself. It's centered upon Him, what He receives, what He deserves, what He does, the name He gets, the glory that He gets. That's the center of the Christian life, and so we don't live to ourselves we live to God for, verse 8, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. We as Christians have come to realize that in Him we live and move and have our being. Our purpose, our goal, our meaning, our end, our destination, our point is Him. It's Him. 
He's, uh, he's the one whose kingdom we pursue. It's not our own kingdom. We pursue His. Every aspect of our lives is directed by, is influenced by, by is directed towards God from, from life to death. Every piece of it is directed towards Him. If I, if I live, it's, it's directed towards Him. We live to the Lord. And if we die, even our death is at His disposal. When we die, how we die, the manner in which we die, the impact that our death has upon people around us, that's all in service to Him. That's all in His time. And that's all ultimately for His glory. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, he says in verse 9, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. There's no aspect of your life, no point in your life, no aspect, no area that is beyond the dominion of Christ. He's the Lord of all the living. And we as Christians have this very great comfort knowing that he's the Lord of all the living because we know who he is. We know what he is like. We know that He has the authority to command His purposes, and we know He has the power to command His purposes, and we know Him, and so we know that His purposes are good, and we are comforted. We receive comfort. David said in Psalm 139, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's the Lord of every aspect of our lives from beginning to end, from top to bottom. And so... How can we honor God in the non-essentials? Well, first, we need to be fully convinced in our own minds. Second, we need to be thankful to God for all that we have and for all all the ways that we get to serve Him with our decisions. And thirdly, we need to remind ourselves that all that we do, whether we live or whether we die, is focused toward Him, has its meaning and purpose in Him and His glory. Paul concludes our section here. For whom shall I answer? For whom shall I answer? He says in verse 10, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you pass judgment on your brother? A couple of things to notice about that word brother. Nothing unique about it, except for what it conveys. Who is our brother? Let's appear. Someone just like me. Someone just like me. Not someone that I have some kind of authority over, that I'm in position over, that I get to judge. That person is my brother. That is my peer. Do do I get to judge my peer? That's not even the way authority structure works. No, I don't get to judge my peer. We are peers. We are brothers. We are sisters. We are together on the same level. But there's a second thing communicated by the idea of brother. And that is that, how did I become a child of God? I was redeemed by Jesus. That I, who was a sinner, running from Him, was redeemed by Christ. That Jesus came to this world voluntarily in order to obey the Father, to fulfill the law, in order to die in my place, was buried and was raised in order to redeem me. So I get to be where I am because of the mercy of God. 
And this person I'm judging, they are where they are. Why? Because of the mercy of God. That person likewise was dead in sins just like me. Was in need of a Savior just like me. Could not climb his or her way out of the pit that he was in. Needed a Savior. Needed deliverance. Needed God's grace. And God's grace in Jesus Christ saved that person as well. So not only are we peers, we are peers because of grace. I'm here and that person is here because of God's saving grace. How then can I sit in judgment over this person? How then can I look at the decisions that they've made in non-essential areas and judge them for their decisions? Or, secondly, shall I despise the weak? The first was, shall I judge the strong? Secondly, shall I despise the weak? Why do you despise your brother? One of the most difficult things for me as a parent, particularly of little kids who tend to struggle with one another and things like that, is when an older child who has learned how to do a couple of things, like ride a bike or something like that, looks down upon, oh, just a little kid. You, you know what I mean, right? That somehow, I think because growing up in our circle of siblings and, and cousins, I was the little kid, I'm especially sensitive to that. When, when you've got those who are good at stuff and they're big and strong and they're looking down on the, you know, the little one who's trying to, as hard as he can to keep up and to do the same stuff but can't quite do it and gets looked down upon, gets despised, Oh, you're just a little kid. Why don't you go and, you know, hang out with your grandma, right? That's, that's kind of the situation that, that I grew up in. And so it's a difficult thing for me as a parent to watch that. I'm very sensitive when you see that. And, I, and from where I stand as a parent, I'm thinking you're a child and you're a child. So you're a little bit older and you've learned three more things. Who are you to despise this other little one who's just little like you are? Well, that's kind of what he's talking about here when we despise one another. Shall I despise the weak? Who is, by the way, my brother? Do I get to do that? No. No, I don't. So my poor kids have had that corrected a lot in, uh, in my parenting of them, in our parenting of them. They've gotten corrected in that way a lot. But shall we despise those who are weaker? Shall we despise those who've taken the other position? Shall we despise those who have... Uh, who, have, who have taken the more scrupulous route that, no, I can't eat the meat, uh, and actually I can't eat any meat, I'm only going to eat vegetables. And, and we're sitting over here thinking, yeah, but there are gospel implications, but their conscience, their conscience, which we're going to get to big time next week. But shall we despise those people? Oh, pfft. when you grow up, you know, like me, when you get to be big like me, you know, I, I took the training wheels off last week, Right? We don't get to despise them. Receive them. Treat them with grace. We need to be careful in how we behave towards one another. We need to seek harmony, even in the non-essentials. Because finally, each will give an account. The end of verse 10, therefore, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord... Every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Not for his neighbor, nor to his neighbor. Nor does his neighbor have to give an account to him. We each will give an account of ourselves before God himself. where the Bible tells us what obedience looks like, Christians are to hold one another accountable. The Bible says not to steal, and so if we find that a Christian brother or sister has stolen, we correct them. That's not judging. That's correcting. And that's what we need to do. We need to hold them accountable. But in the areas where the Bible hasn't told us what obedience looks like, we do not have the freedom to hold others to our standard. In the matter of eating meat in a culture where meat is often sacrificed to idols, the Bible doesn't tell us what obedience looks like. That being the case, we cannot presume to hold another accountable to the decisions that we have made. In this case, each person will stand before the Lord and will give an account before the Lord of the decisions that he has made about eating meat. You will answer for yourself alone. 
So don't despise and don't judge your brother in these matters. So again, this, this is about attitude and our attitudes toward one another. If we were all equally mature, if we all had exactly the same background, if we all had been through exactly the same kinds of things and we all agreed on all of these things, this sermon wouldn't be, even be necessary. But the fact is that God redeems for himself a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Puts us into one body. So you have differing people who have been redeemed and have been put together into one body who have even made differing decisions on aspects like this. We are different in numerous ways. We often don't agree in the non-essentials, but we need to think about our attitudes towards one another in those areas of behavior that the Bible has not specifically said, do this or don't do that. God has his perfect standard that he has given to us in his word. And as Christians, we hold one another accountable to that standard. But where he has not spoken, we need to be charitable with our treatment of one another. Jesus is the Lord of the dead and the living. And he is certainly able to be Lord both of the people who have the freedom in Christ to eat meat for the glory of God and of those who scrupulously eat only vegetables only. I said that twice. For the glory of God. In some areas of the Christian life where God has not spelled out just what obedience looks like, much of our obedience lies in our being thankful for the Lord's provision and in serving Him in every area of our lives. And much of our obedience in these areas lies in our welcoming and gracious attitudes towards brothers and sisters, even if they disagree with us in these non-essential areas. Christian, our identity does not lie in whether we abstain or allow for participation in Halloween or getting tattoos or consuming alcohol. Our identity is that we once were dead in our trespasses and sins, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Our identity is in him. The Christian life is not about eating and drinking. The Christian life is about Jesus Christ, having saved sinners and continuing to do so. And so there are areas where, uh, no doubt, in this uh, congregation, we have differing opinions and even some of the uh, things that I mentioned here and, and many, many more. And next week, we will talk more about how we make decisions in those areas, but to lay the foundation the way we treat one another, the attitude we have towards one another is very important. We have all been put into the body of Christ. We have this unity of the fact that we have been brought together from disparate parts and made one people in Christ by His grace and for His glory. And so let's keep that at the focus. And let's not allow our differences on these sorts of questionable areas, these non-essential areas, be defining of who we are. Let's let Jesus be the one who is defining of who we are. And let's seek Him. And let's rejoice together in what He has done for us. That He has made us His own. That we have this redemption that my sin has been put away because of Christ. I have been made new and been given new life in Christ. And I've been put together in a body with you in Christ. And let's praise him for that. And let's let that be our identity. Let's pray. Father, we are a very uh, disparate people <clears throat> in many ways. Called from many backgrounds and different experiences, different um, decisions that we've come to in some of these regards about whether to eat meat or whether to eat only vegetables. In the example we read, we've made different decisions. Father, we 
dare not judge our brother. We dare not despise our brother. You are big enough to be the Lord both of the meat eaters and of the vegetarians. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts, even my own heart, that I would not despise or that I would not judge in these areas. Yes, we need to hold one another accountable, and there are standards you've clearly given in your word, and, and, and that is not judging. Uh, it is not a, an, an improper kind of judging when we, when we hold someone accountable to the standard of your word. But when we hold someone accountable to our own standard that's apart from your word, that's judging. Or when I look down on, on someone who hasn't realized the full implications of the gospel in this particular area, may, may I not despise them. May I not treat them as, as a, the weak little kid or something like that. May we receive one another, welcome one another, and learn how to walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ underneath your lordship. Father, I pray that you would bless each of us as we go from here. And as we think through these things, Father, there are areas of our lives that we just do what we want because your word doesn't say not to. Help us to be firmly convinced in our own minds, having brought the gospel to bear on these different topics, these different areas of our lives and decisions that we make that are the non-essential decisions. That doesn't make them unimportant. Father, I pray that you would prepare us even for next week as we look for uh, guidance from uh, Paul's uh, words here in this chapter about thinking about these decisions and how they impact those people around us. But until then, help us to be gracious toward one another, loving towards one another, seeking the best. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this freedom that we have in Christ, that the Christian life, the kingdom of God, is not about eating and drinking, that, that uh, eating certain things doesn't make us Christians or make us non-Christians, that Jesus Christ is the one who makes us Christians. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to uh, pray for us in just a moment. And I uh, just did that. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture for us in just a moment. Before I do that, um, I wanted to remind you about the fact that we have a couple up here to pray with you. If you want to come pray with them, bring requests to them. Uh, they, will, they would love to pray with you and uh, bring those things to God. This is what uh, Paul says in uh, conclusion here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.